Yes, now to some broader implications of the case that has almost everyone talking, thinking, expressing, that involving Brittany Higgins and Bruce Lehrman. And as I'm sure you know, the trial was aborted this week dramatically and a new trial date is already set for February. And we certainly do not intend to cover the details of that case, as requested by the Chief ACT Justice Lucy McCallum. But it has thrown open renewed light on the jury system itself, that precious, venerable core of open societies. Are its codes up to date with 21st century expectations? As the Nine newspaper's Malcolm Knox said in another of his thoughtful articles, when a juror misbehaves, the entire system comes under attack. Well, should it? In this case, a juror did his or her own research, examining more than was presented to court, in other words, and it became what the Financial Review's legal editor Michael Pelly described yesterday as the freelancing detective juror problem. I'll let him explain. Welcome to the program. Morning, Geraldine. Why is an independent search by a juror such a problem? Well, it's just a fundamental thing that when you go into a criminal trial, the jurors can only consider what's been put forward before them in the case, the evidence in the case. You might have expert opinions, but those expert opinions might be contested. And so it's pretty much whatever goes on in the courtroom is the only thing you can consider because the judge controls it with rules of evidence. The other sides can contest it. So everybody knows what's there. It's all laid out on the table. So this is reminding us uh, that the court cases are a very boundaried set of inherited rules about, um, in a way, containing, am I right? Containing. Absolutely. And that's the point, is that judges have very strict rules and they're governed by decisions of appellate courts. They can't just sort of freelance because they know what's going to happen if they don't take something like this seriously. Uh, You know, an appellate court above is going to look and go, well, you really should have had, had, you know, had a think about that and probably discharged the jury. Something like this is fairly fundamental. As, as, you know, as Chief Justice McCallum said, we don't know how it was considered, whether it was pro or for or, or whether it was even sort of challenged by another academic paper. So, yeah. You see, the materials believed to be an academic journal paper, maybe more than one, you might know more than I, on the impact of false allegations on the justice system, the sort of thing canvas on RN's law report all the time. Well, Yet, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, you know, they may well be RN listeners. You said yesterday that lawyers you'd consulted suggested that <sighs> sort of material would never find its way into evidence. Now, I might ask, why not? Because from that exact point, it's, it has to be... If something like that is put forward, you have to allow someone to contest it. It's, I, I should have explained it better. It should, would never have been allowed to have, but, well, here's a report everyone should consider. And the judge is going to go, well, what do you think about that on the other side? So it will go through a whole process about whether that report will be considered. More, more than likely, it's just another report. The, the criminal justice system deals with this all the time. They have protections. They have warnings they can go in about those sorts of issues, they're not something that become part of criminal trials. You might have expert evidence, for example, about, uh, you know, in a commercial law case or 
Um, you might have expert evidence about whether something could have happened in a criminal case. And that's led by either side, is it? Or do you ab- 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 absolutely. Right. And you can bring the expert up and they can challenge it. So that's pretty much what Chief Justice McCallum was talking about. And I heard your reference for there are actually two other academic papers we've learned about that uh, apparently the person had... Uh, so there were three uh, had, papers? There were three, yeah. Well, Justice McCallum put a... Um, put a judgment out on Thursday which just explained the whole process and and actually tacked on. She said, uh, following the discharge of the jury, I was informed by the sheriff's officers that the same juror was also in possession of two additional academic papers on the topic of sexual assault. Boy, this person really didn't <laughs> really didn't want to listen to that. Well, they were warned, she said, about 17 times. But I, I have wondered whether the juror was trying to actually break the logjam. And again, we're not and going that's, to get... And that's the point. Um, Chief Justice McCallum has been very firm about this, that said that we don't know one way or another was, was, was the person um, trying to convince another juror? Were they trying to convince themselves? Did they think this would be helpful to the whole process? Had this become an issue in deliberation? We just don't know. And and nobody's going to tell us because that's the way the jury system works. What What is known, Michael, about why jurors sometimes consider evidence that has not been presented in court? Ev- information they've been told is inadmissible. They can't help themselves, Geraldine. It's the, it's the notion of the detective jurors you talked about. Um, uh, in our everyday life now, and this was explained by someone who read a very interesting book on juries about uh, 10 years ago, in our everyday life, especially with the advent of the internet, we go online, we have a little look, we do our own research. And as this, these people aren't trying to sabotage trials, they're actually trying to find out, but they can't help themselves. They think, oh, there's a little bit more information out there, I'm not being told. But as just as Chief Justice McCallum said, it, there's actually a very interesting part. I was looking up the um, uh, her her judge uh, her warning because she said that uh, you know I've warned you 17 times, and she said this is the type of warning I've been given. She says if I could read this out, it's actually worthwhile. This um, she said a good way of testing whether you must exclusively rest on the evidence you hear in the courtroom. He said, a good way of testing that is if you're learning something about this trial and I am not there, then you should not be doing it. You should only be learning about this trial in in this room in my presence. So if you find yourself getting curious and undertaking internet research or talking to people about their areas of expertise, think to yourself, well, Chief Justice McCallum isn't here, so I probably shouldn't be doing this. <laughs> that is that is not a bad way well, of testing what you should hear in this trial. But, you know, I can just see there could be a discrepancy between legal and lay people's understanding of the juror's role because especially in, you know, very much 21st century views might say, well, I'm contributing to the process. I have but good why work. Did the person, but why did the person think better, Geraldine? That's the puzzling thing. I mean, they're told 17 times. They're told when evidence starts at the start of the day, they're told at the finish not to do this. It's just, it is amazing that no matter how many, you've been this in, it's a natural human nature you've come across people. It doesn't matter how many times you tell them there's no more information they should be considering. 
Oh, it's, all, it's almost an invitation. Yeah, I'll go out and have a look for myself well, if you tell me I shouldn't be doing it. That's, you again, know? that sort of a modern sensibility. I mean, you quote from Dr Jackie Horan um, yeah. from Melbourne University who's written extensively on juries. Actually, and, Monash, I made it. Monash, 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 Monash okay. <laughs> and it is interesting that she says procedural justice research suggests this this uh, behaviour that we're describing because jurors are motivated to prioritise just outcomes over due process and that they then... Mm. So, again, the question then arises, have we got the best expectations around juries right now? Are they fit for 21st century purpose? Oh, look, I think they have to be because they remain the best system of um, judging the behaviour of our peers and of other people in society. Um, And I don't think you'll find any criminal lawyer that argue about that. Now, there are questions about whether juries can be overly affected about evidence outside outside um, uh, outside the courtroom but I think that's just general nature people bring prejudices to any form of um, any form of uh, intellectual exercise they bring their own experiences they bring what they've heard they bring what they think. but what they have to do is put it aside and juries are normally shown to be pretty good at that and think I think Jackie Doran's done that research they are very good at putting those things aside but Sometimes there are there are outlying cases, but uh, is it becoming more of a perceived problems uh, problem for justice authorities? These detective juries, absolutely, jurors? absolutely, it is the number one issue uh, for for um, uh, for judges. They have had a series of directions now. They've laid down and they they have to constantly remind people. I think the gravity of the issue. Maybe we do it this way: if Justice McCallum had to warn people seventeen times. I think she perceived it as a as a potential problem. She's warning them every day and every night. So she and she's a very experienced criminal law judge. She's seen all this. It is the number one issue to stopping jurors from doing their own homework and going on the internet. Any other particular cases that you'd cite to help us understand this? Well, there look, there's there's a number of if I can just maybe explain this, Jackie was very keen to distinguish between rogue jurors and and detective jurors. The most famous case about the detective juror is involving Bill Elskatz, um, fortunately, the, the gang rapist from early... Oh, early yes. the, uh, where, Yeah, where a, two jurors decided, look, I'm not quite sure about the crime scene. So they after, after hours, they went and visited the crime scene to see if it was well lit or not. So, uh, and the court said, well, no, you've got to do that as part of... We were happy to do that, but you've got to do it as part of a court-controlled experiment. So, so if you'd raised, if you'd okay, so if you'd said yeah. we wish to go, the whole lot of you go. In Absolutely, yeah. the, the court the court would say, yeah, well, we will try and accommodate that. Uh, right. Um, I just wonder whether, in legal circles, the idea that you can have a closed bubble assumed for juries, can that be realistically maintained anymore in a world of social media and just a lot more presumed information, more education? Might it lend weight to this rumbling debate about whether we should move to judge-only trials? Well, that is an issue. Um, in fact, uh, Justice McCullum, there was a, there was a case... Uh, uh, about uh, eight years ago where it was she did do a judge alone trial because that was allowed in New South Wales. It's not allowed in the ACT. More and more people are opting for judge alone trials, especially when there's been publicity. And that's a factor that uh, defence counsel sometimes think is to, to their advantage, to have a dispassionate judge, one that 
supposedly is a little bit better at putting outside, out of their mind, those extraneous factors such as pre-trial publicity. And what do you think about that? I mean, is it would this be a development or oh, not? I'm a bit, I'm a bit old school, Geraldine. I like the jury. I think it should stick around. And despite its problems, I think we can. I mean, something like this is heartbreaking for everyone. I mean, involved, but it's still a good system. It's still the way you that think people still it. take it very certainly, absolutely, very seriously and when thing, they get in there. Well, I think the point is that you know this juror wasn't trying to muck up the process. They were trying to actually, by all accounts, they were, sounds as though they were trying to help and trying to maybe bring some information, but, geez, it wasn't a good idea of, about helping in that, in, in that way. And it just somehow, I don't know, do you, do you get them in a room and do you sort of Give you know, them make, them, make them swear ten, time, ten <laughs> times blind that they're not going to go on the internet. You, you, you know, the first thing they're going to do when they step out of the court on the way home is probably yeah. scroll on the internet and look at the news reports right. and the stories. Okay, you know? Michael. Well, look, it certainly was a dramatic development one way and the other. Thank you very much for your time today. Thanks, Geraldine. Michael Pelly, who's the legal editor at the Financial Review. ABCRN helps you understand the world. Find more of our stories on the ABC Listen app.